Why does God allow us to be tested? Um, this is something we, we pray um, not to happen, actually, isn't it? Um, lead us not into temptation. It's a good thing to avoid temptation. We know this because we are told by Christ to pray for that. And why? Because it's good to avoid sin. But that just deepens the question, why um, does God allow this? Why does God allow us to be tempted? God does not promise to save his people from temptation. I'm sure that some of you are here tonight and wish that he had. For many of us, we have fallen into patterns of um, repeated temptation. Our flaws are exposed to ourselves and before God, and maybe we've repented with tears. Um, we know our flaws, we know Christ's righteousness, yet we still sin. And it can become a vicious cycle. And then we begin to doubt as well. Do I really know God? How can I pray, this is a common one, when, I, when I've just sinned against him like that, you know, I'll, I'll put it off for a few hours or something till I perhaps feel a bit better or I, I just feel that God might forgive me then. He, he will not accept me. That's what we often think in that moment. Um, now what if I told you that, that Satan rejoices to see these seeds of doubt sprouting because it's he who plants them or first planted them in the heart of mankind. It is he who waters them. He, Satan has a garden, in a sense, and, and it's your heart. These seeds he wants to see sprout. If this sounds crazy to you, uh, the, the Bible explains that Satan is an angel created by God who fell and in turn caused mankind, Adam and Eve, to fall into sin. Though God is therefore not the, the author um, of evil, um, he's not responsible for the evil in the world, yet he allows it for a time. And that is a question we've we wrestled with. Um, he allows Satan liberty to test his people. We, we see that in Job's story. But why? <laughs> um, this is a question that we're often fearful to look into, and, and I want to kind of comfort us that we shouldn't be. Um, often we're, we're worried that, that if you look into the sort of problem that we're talking about here, why does God allow temptation that, um, that we look too deeply into it? We worry that we'll see more that, that God is a holy tyrant who can't possibly love us. But I want to say that, that that is the devil's lie, and we ought to look straight into God's word for the answer to this. And one of them comes in this passage we've read tonight. Uh, Satan hates what you're about to hear. Because he knows that when his plans are laid out next to God's, the people of God are not driven away from God. They're driven to him in Christ. But when those plans that Satan has for humanity are next to God's, they are driven in horror away from Satan. So tonight we will answer the question of why God allows us to be tempted by Looking to the tempting of Christ. And our sermon points, there are four of them, will we'll answer that question. Um, the first one is this. Uh, the first thing to notice um, is that um, God allows temptation because it is a mark of salvation. 
Our temptation actually shows us, in some way, our salvation. Um, it, it's not proof of the absence of being a Christian or the absence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, it is, in fact, or can often be, a tempta- temptation is often a, a sign that we have the Spirit within us, else we wouldn't feel tempted by something we'd simply do it. Um, not, not only that, uh, so Christ is, is full of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the passage here, um, 4 verse uh, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Christ is led into temptation, not here by the Spirit of Satan, but the Spirit of God sent him into the wilderness. So I want you to see that. It isn't just that, that there's someone evil causing all of these temptations. That is, of course, behind everything. There's, there's a truth to that. But actually God puts Jesus by his Holy Spirit. God the Father sends his Son into the wilderness. If ever the, the salvation of any man was assured, it is Christ's. He's not sinned nor done anything to deserve a temptation. And neither have you, by the way, to deserve temptation. Except one thing, you follow Christ. Where the Father leads him by the Holy Spirit, Christ follows. And where Christ leads, his people follow. Um, And for this season, he is led into temptation. And sometimes we may be too. Um, Tell me, is it a mark of salvation or of damnation for Christ here when Satan turns his guns on Jesus. It is a mark of salvation for you when Satan turns his guns on you. And only believers are tempted in that sense. Um, the temptations non-believers uh, feel are, are, are inclinations um, towards hypocrisy, a desire to depart from their own deeply held beliefs. That's true. Um, but it's not temptation as the Bible defines it. For temptation is not simply temptation to sin, but temptation away from God to turn away from God and to embrace something else. When Satan lays for us a trail of breadcrumbs, I want you to know it doesn't lead us away from ourselves. It it leads us towards ourselves and away from God. Let's look at this in the case of Jesus. When is Jesus tempted? Have a think about this one, verse 1. Returned from the Jordan. In chapter 3, he's been baptized. It's right after his baptism. I had a, an experience when I was a young, a younger Christian. Um, I, uh, I was baptized about 11 years ago now. Um, and, um, yeah, as soon as I was baptized almost, various things that were pretty bad happened in my life. And I remember thinking, well, you know, I've just made this big decision. God, why have you done this? Um, of course, in one sense, I hadn't made a big decision. He had made a decision about me. Um, but this can often be a feeling that we, we have, and it's proof that actually we are following him. Some of these things happened, and they just happened. Some of them happened, and I found them hard now because I was a Christian, and I had to react differently to how I would have done before. In the case of Christ here, he is tempted after his baptism. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And Satan's time of tempting is often after um, an ordinance of God. So writes the, the Puritan, Thomas Watson. Um, 
I'll give you a little bit more of this quotation. Um, Thomas Watson continues. He said, the reason that, that we're tempted often um, after coming to church or after um, you know, being baptized shortly afterwards, something like that, the reason, he says, is he thinks he shall find us most secure. When we have been at solemn duties, we are apt to think that all is done. And we grow remiss and leave off that zeal and strictness that we had before. Just as a soldier who, after battle, leaves off his armor, not once dreaming of an enemy. I want to ask you, Christian, how often have you sinned on a Sunday? You've gone home from church, feel everything's done. I've been holy for the week. And then you just sort of you know, snap at your wife or just sort of enraged at something or whatever it might be. Um, that often happens. And it is not necessarily because that temptation, though we should avoid it, 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 that temptation is often a marker of our salvation rather than something to be utterly discouraged over. On to our second point. The second reason God allows temptation, uh, temptation humbles us. Temptation humbles us. Our second verse, here for the second point, don't worry, I'll, I'll get through them a bit quick in the future there, but um, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Uh, here Christ puts himself under an intense physical trial. Uh, verse 2 contains one of the greatest understatements in the whole Bible, doesn't it? Do you notice it? He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, it seems by implication, had always spent most of the 40 days at least in the wilderness Probably all of them, it seems to me. And when the worst of de the devil's temptations struck him. And it seems um, even clearer in the account in Matthew's Gospel. But either way, the devil comes to Christ when he's at his weakest. He's been baptized, yet now he's undergone a period where he has become weak. And the devil seeks victory over him. But why does Jesus subject himself to this trial? Well, the devil asks this same question. At verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. It is worth pausing at this moment to consider, why didn't Jesus simply do this? Why didn't he just say, fair enough, and then make bread? It, you know, is there any particular reason why this had to happen? This, this starvation diet. Um, why on earth doesn't Jesus simply do what the devil is asking of him? The devil has a point afterwards, uh, after all, sorry. Um, there is no heresy, no error so foul that it doesn't contain a grain of truth. And that grain would no doubt appear far larger and more appetizing after 40 days in the wilderness. Well, to understand why, let us look to Jesus' answer. Verse 4, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So there's a, a phrase that repeats itself in this passage, if you noticed it during the reading. It is written. It is written. Jesus has read his Bible. I want us to know that, right? Jesus has read his Bible. At least he has heard his Bible 
in the synagogue. Jesus understands and knows the word of God. Have you ever tried quoting scripture at someone uh, in answer to a question? Um, but as Christians, we're generally discouraged by, from doing this, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, get, we get the sort of, don't come at me with your proof texts. You, know, the, 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 you, you may quote that sort of out of context, but I'm sure you know, if I read the passage, it would say something different. Um, but Jesus does it, <laughs> just to be clear. He does it three times, actually, to every one of the devil's questions. Not only that, it is all he says. There are no other words, only it is written, and then what is written? Well, where is it written? We've heard a little bit earlier. Um, turn with me, if you can, to the book of Deuteronomy. Keep your finger in, in Luke, um, if you have a copy of the word there. Um, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 2 to 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fast know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? The Lord let Israel hunger for 40 years. Now he let Christ hunger for 40 days. The passage that Jesus refers to tells us that God allows Jesus to hunger for the same reason that he allowed Israel to hunger. That he might humble you, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, testing you to know what was in your heart. Let us turn on ourselves here. Why does God allow us to be tempted? This is our second reason. God allows us to be tempted to test us and humble us. This is why he allowed Christ to be tested. This is why he allowed Israel to be tested. And here Christ proves that when we fall into temptation, when Israel fell away, Christ remains faithful. Which is humbling in and of itself. Yet we do endure trials and temptations, and they are here to test and humble us. We are God's people. Um, in the Old Testament, Israel, the church in the New. Um, Jesus knows why he is being tempted. The Lord withholds bread for a season that he might know how close or how far our hearts are to him and that we might know that too. Uh, just for a point of clarification, I want to say he, here is where Satan leaps in with, with the lie um, that when God takes our bread away for a season... It's to bring us um, to him. That's, that's the truth. But before the Lord is able to finish his sentence, Satan persuades us that God has forsaken us. Satan is here almost in this passage. Do you believe this? <laughs> really? You think that God's taken this bread away from you for a season for some kind of divine reason? Aren't we saved by faith alone? Why, shouldn't God be just, why should God be testing you? 
Do you not think it's unfair for the Lord to test his people? You have believed Satan in this case as soon as we start thinking the thought and then following it through to genuinely believing that this is the case. You have not let Almighty God finish his sentence. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3 is the reason for this testing and humbling. Um, The reason is not that Israel might starve, but that God may make you know that a man does not live by bread alone. But by what? By every mouth that comes from the word, from every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Christ can't accept Satan's premise. Um, the, the premise that he's operating on is God is small, stingy, and selfish. The reason that he hasn't given you bread is just because of that. It's his natural character coming out. Um, when we sin, um, this is what we say. God has not given me enough. Isn't that what we say? Right? That's, that's what we're saying when we, when we want something more that God has forbidden us. Um, when we look at someone in lust, when we um, are incredibly jealous of someone else's house or their stuff or how they host such wonderful parties, whatever it might be, we, and we just think, why doesn't God just give me that? God has not given me enough. I'll take some for myself by means that he's not willed. Satan tells Jesus, God has forsaken you. Don't serve him. Serve yourself. You pick up some bread. Pick up a rock. Turn into bread. You can do that. The entire theme of Satan's temptation is to get Christ to doubt his father's love for him. If you are the son of God, he crows. Yet Christ lives by every word from the mouth of the Lord. He remembers his baptism, as we all should in times of trial. So we move on to our our third point. And before I actually sort of tell you what it is, I want to say Jesus um, hears the voice of God in the Jordan. Uh, Israel sees his arm at the Red Sea. Both pass through water to arrive in the wilderness. Both have every reason to listen to their Lord. Yet Israel, in the passage we read earlier, and to remark on that, Deuteronomy 6, hears only Satan. We undergo only a fraction of Christ's suffering. Deuteronomy 8 tells us not only that God let Israel hunger, but that he fed them with manna. (laughs) Yet they complain. They say this, In Israel we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. That's in Deuteronomy 8. Do we follow Christ or do we only hear Satan? And one of the things I want to to sort of point out here is um, we do often um, come across this this human selfishness, wanting things that um, that God has not promised to us. Um, this comes out in the recent pandemic uh, when everyone was, you know, buying up uh, every single possible thing at the expense of others and fuel shortage uh, recently. Um, yeah, man cannot live by pasta and tinned tomatoes alone. You should have perhaps uh, seen it as Sainsbury's in those days. But the Puritan Thomas Watson says of Satan, he tempts many a man to covetousness and extortion under a pretense of providing for his family. Sometimes it can be the means that we use to gain the things that God, the good things that God has put in this world. Um, 
that are the means that Satan's used to water the seeds in our heart. Now, um, the next point, uh, Satan's temptation uh, follows the same pattern as the first. 4 verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I'll give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. I want to say the third point is this. When I said earlier about the um, kind of uh, comparing God's plans and Satan's plans um, and seeing the superiority of God's and why he allows temptation, um, the third point is this. God allows for us to be tempted so that we will long for his kingdom. God allows for us to be tempted so that we will long for his kingdom. What the devil is offering is a kingdom here. It is a kingdom without consequences. And that's something we find quite attractive. No strings attached. That's, uh, that's Satan's sales technique. And he's a pretty good marketer. Um, we're fooling ourselves if we truly think we're not the sort of person who's tempted by this vision. A manor house in the country, um, a beautiful wife, an Aston Martin on the driveway. It could be yours, Satan says, for one monthly fee. Um, What's the monthly fee? That you bow the knee to me. It's like a little advert jingle there. Perhaps you want a family that always looks incredible, you know, in photos. A home that you can host um, in, that everyone talks about. Verse 7, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. This is the sort of temptation that Satan is putting on Christ. Um, This lie follows on from the first. Um, This is Satan's uh, sales technique. Go back to Egypt, he's saying. I want to say, uh, there's a song called uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. Um, I'm nothing against that particular song. Um, but, but that here is Satan's chorus, uh, just to be clear. Uh, he wants the people to go back to Egypt. The times are better in bondage. Is that not what you think when you utter profanities, when you whinge about, you know, Ted at the office, when you cheat on your taxes, when you open up those images on your computer? Now you are a slave to righteousness, says Satan, but serve me and you will find your true freedom in Egypt. That's what's being said. God has enslaved you, and I will set you free. And we know that it is the reverse. That is true. This temptation is almost irresistible to the Christian. I'm certainly irresistible by our natural means, um, and should drive us to prayer. And yet, uh, look Satan in the eye as well. Um, do not be fooled. The power that, that he pretends to have is indeed a pretense. He only pretends to a power that God has. Did you notice that? For it has been delivered to me. We think that this is true, by the way. If you think, well, that's a that's a category error. It hasn't been delivered to him. He hasn't got that stuff. That's God's. Yet we think that when we sin. Calvin, on this point, uh, says, says this. When we sin, we ascribe to Satan what belongs to God. Say that again. When we sin, we ascribe to Satan what belongs to God, power of enriching whom he pleases by his blessing. When we are faced with temptations like this, when everything in the world is on offer before us, we must remember that Satan promises what he cannot pay. All sin promises what it cannot pay. As anyone who's ever sinned has found out and afterwards just feels 
worse than before. We think that we found a back door to heaven here, right? That's, that's what we do. Um, Satan is, is selling us God's kingdom out of the back door, second hand. Um, sin is always like this. Our lusts appear like a shining mirage in the desert. And we try and sort of take a, 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 a seat under the, uh, the cool branches and reach out for the fruit from the tree. But it, <laughs> if you've noticed, it, it always ends up like this. You, you sort of sort of reaching for the fruit, and your hand almost passes straight through it. It's sort of you can't grasp something that it never fills. It, it's not something that you can simply say, "Great." You know what, Satan? That that did. That actually was really nice, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I, I'm I'm very happy now. That's not something that we say, is it? And yet, that's the that's the instant thing that we think every time. Um, sin can never pay what our temptations promise. We should remember that. The devil has his ministers, doesn't he? He has uh, books, even on the Christian bookstalls, offering your best life now. Um, another classic hit, The Kingdom Without the Cross. It's not actually a book, but that is his book. Um, the Kingdom Without the Cross, Mine Be the Glory. And these are Satan's kind of sales techniques. He offers God's kingdom without God's authority. Win-win. And it ends up as a lose-lose. He's a used car salesman offering a discount. All the reward without the regulation. And the car looks great. The only problem is it will never take you home. And we reach out and grasp for these fantasies. We already have. And we took Satan's deal in Eden. And again in Massa, as we heard in Deuteronomy 6. Um, <coughs> as we heard in... Then D26. Um, every week we seek to renew this covenant with Satan. We take up his bargain each time that we sin, thinking Egypt better than eternity. But this mirage should make us long for the reality. It should make us long for Christ's kingdom instead. So in steps Christ here to combat the devil on our behalf. Christ is weak with a hunger that we'll never know, and he's already seen what his people have chosen time and time again, and it has grieved him. Yet still, he rejects here the devil's deal, not just for his own sake, but for our sake. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, is his answer. It's because of Christ that we are no longer in slavery. Because he chose what we could not. Because he loves us. Of these two disputants, Satan and Christ, which one is small and selfish? Which one truly does not love us? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. From this verse, Satan should know that Lord Jesus Christ is on to his scam. For it continues... Deuteronomy 6.13 is the quotation. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And remember, there was that specific passage about, you know, if you might be one day with full bellies, you'll forget. <laughs> do not do that. Christ here with an empty stomach does not forget. And that is why we should love him. His kingdom is so much better than the kingdom offered here by Satan. Do not go back to Egypt. Never believe that it was better when you were in bondage. And if temptation should seem too much for us to bear, then 
remember that they work for our good. As Thomas Watson puts it, they make the saints long more for heaven. There they shall be out of gunshot. Our fourth and final point is taken from the devil's last temptation. So let's look at that now, verse 9. Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. This is like the the moment that the the virus has sort of assimilated the code of the host here. Do you see this? He quotes, It is written. I see that you're, you're quoting the Bible. Let me do that back to you. You believe that? Great. You'll, you'll, I'm sure, meet a few people like this. Great. Well, doesn't it say also this? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And, he's got two references here, not just one. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil knows his Bible too. Christ knows his Bible. The devil knows his Bible. By the way, Christian, know your Bible. That is a point that should be made here. If the more that we know our Bible, the more that something, some trigger will go off in our minds when this happens, and we'll think, hmm, there's an answer for this one. And there is. After being met twice over with Scripture, he mimics Christ's pattern. It is written, he repeats. Not only that, but he applies Psalm 91 here that we sung earlier to Christ. And he's not wrong, by the way. He's correct on that. This promise relates to all believers, but particularly to Jesus Christ. Matthew even reports that angels did minister to him in the wilderness. Satan's been watching, and he knows his Bible. Satan, in one sense, is a theologian. He he, he appears as an angel of light with scripture in his mouth, casting his net over God's people. He's like an angler, and he is waiting until his catch exhausted before he casts his line. Um, here he, he baits his hook with holiness, doesn't he? He's made a pretty good case on this one. Uh, we're tempted to believe him. How many prosperity preachers, by the way, could, would be land, lining up on the steps of the temple uh, here? You know, look at these amazing promises. Oh yeah, no, he, he's absolutely right. Jump, 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 jump. God will provide. Oh, you don't trust him? It says here in the Bible, he'll protect you no matter what. I want you to just see the plausibility of this argument here. Don't take my word for it, they say. Believe the promises of God. The devil is a theologian. This should have a, an impact on how we read the Bible, brothers and sisters. This means that we, we are not saved by our doctrine. I mean, the devil's not totally right here in a way I'll go on to say, but he's got a lot of truth in this. We're not saved by what we believe about God, so to speak, although we should believe the right things about God, sure. Not even by our belief in God, for even the demons believe and shudder. You may have the best Bible knowledge in the world. It's not enough. You must be redeemed by the blood of Jesus and trust him. The devil doesn't trust him. He wants a different plan to the one that God has set down for him. That's why he's marketed. He's such a good salesman because he's taken the deal. That he, you know, he's t- he was the first person to take that deal. Um, that he's now pushing on us. It's like a pyramid scheme that he wants us to buy into. So that helps him out. 
Some people, maybe even some here, love their Bibles. But sometimes people love their Bibles and, and don't love Jesus. They read, but they don't pray. Well, if that's you, know that Satan's words show that your theology won't save you. The devil is a damned good theologian. None of this is to say that we ought not to study our Bibles. Uh, theology is the, the study of God through his word. We are, in a sense, all theologians. We all study um, God. We're just not necessarily very good ones. Um, does the devil know his Bible better than you, Christian, is still a question we should ask. Um, well, look past his, his learned citations and you'll see that this kind of pious pretense is, is just the same old lie wrapped in scripture. When he asks Jesus to take a leap of faith, it's not faith in God. He is saying, don't serve God's agenda. Have him serve you. He's again offering the kingdom without the cross. Despite telling Jesus to off a building, Satan is not trying to kill him. Ironically, Satan is actually seeking to prevent his death. Jesus knew that this is what the devil sought. He had broken Israel in this way before, Satan. He played all his greatest hits. God has forsaken you in the wilderness. Go back to Egypt. Walk like an Egyptian. And now, his final one is this. Do not enter the promised land. For the devil knows that, just as we do, that it's only by going to the cross that we can ever enter the promised land. Um, in tempting him to put uh, God to the test, it's the devil's desire to place a prayer on Christ's lips. Not thine, but mine. Not your will, but my will be done. That's what he's seeking to achieve in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of Christ's life. The devil can foresee his final defeat. If ever Christ gets to the garden and prays, not my will but yours, that's it. Here the devil is praying a prayer of his own making. Don't go to the cross. Live forever. Serve me. And he's asking that of us too. God allows us to be tempted for the same reason that he's let Christ be tempted here. The fourth reason is this. To make us go to the cross. Do you see this? Christ is tempted to reject this life and accept his death at the cross. The final reason for temptation is to make us go to the cross. Even when we feel utterly defeated, there we know that he has won. Even when we have sinned again and again, as we come to him and repent, we know that he has victory over sin and death. When Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He says that verse 12 here, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting from Deuteronomy that we saw earlier. The verse ends, as you tested him at Massa. Moses is addressing Israel just as they're about to enter the promised land in that text we heard earlier. And they've been wandering for 40 years. In the book of Numbers, the Lord reveals why. They were punished according to the number of days in which you spied out the land. 40 days a year for each day. The spies, and here's a, a parallel you may not know, the spies Moses sent 
brought a false report saying that they could not beat the enemy. Honestly, no, brothers and sisters, that when Christ enters the wilderness, he is on a reconnaissance mission of a sort. He is sussing out the enemy. We know that partly because, verse 13, he does not here defeat them. He's spying out. And the devil, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. When Christ returns from his 40 days in the wilderness, he returns in certainty of victory. He has seen his enemy, he has sized him up, and he has resolved to defeat him and not to back away. Jesus fulfills this last passage that he cites. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, but thrusting out all your enemies from before you. Massa means testing, and in the wilderness Israel had tested the Lord. Too often we as God's people seek our own will first, yet thank God that Christ is his Father's will here and not his own. Even if we should fall into the temptations of Satan, even if we should believe his baying chorus, we should accept his sales pitch, let us repent and go to the cross, for it's not our righteousness that will stand us in good stead, that will allow us to cross over to the promised land of heaven. Let us go to the cross where Christ has won over his enemy. Let's pray. Lord, you are a wonderful saviour. Thank you that are the true Israel, that you carry your people through the wilderness and into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, that your plans for us are far higher than any others. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us strength to serve and obey you. That when we see temptation, we might flee from it. But even if we do give in, we pray, Lord, that we would repent and return to the cross. Give us grace that we may be able to serve you for all of our days. Amen.